We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Oh, boy. All right, just trying to keep it fresh, you know, for me and for you. And so you know whether or not you've already heard this episode. So uh, it's been a while since I've done this, since we've done an episode of the podcast. And, you know, and, and uh, one reason is because I just I didn't have enough thoughts together to make one episode. So uh, I, I've been trying to wait till more thoughts came into my head. And, uh, but, uh, I, oh, and I've been working on a cooking, uh, show that I'm, well, it's, it's an experiment. It's not really a show. I'm trying to turn it into a show. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I haven't heard back for some people yet. So in the interim, I thought, hey, I'll uh, do an episode of the podcast. Not because I have, uh, a completed thought. No, it was because, uh, something happened last night that made me say, oh, I gotta, I gotta talk about this. I gotta get this out. This is timely information. It won't make sense in the future, but I have to talk about it because it's making me nuts. Like, I'm supposed to be applying for jobs online. I cannot fill out the form because it's just filling my head. But before we get to that, let's talk about some of the half-form thoughts I've been thinking about. Uh, I saw Iron Man 2, and uh, I just uh, heard, listened to the Comedy Film Nerds podcast where they crapped all over it. But... I really liked it. I really liked Iron Man 2. A much better, I felt, than Iron Man 1. So if you liked Iron Man 1, I think you're going to like Iron Man 2. Now, I've heard all the reviews I've heard were the exact opposite. They were like, oh, you know, the plot doesn't make any sense and blah, blah, blah. I thought it was great. Um, I felt that, you know, the, my big problem with Iron Man 1 was just big gaping holes in the foundation of the script, Right. Uh, I've already talked about that. No reason to bring it up again. Iron Man 2 still has some problems. Apparently, anybody with a uh, third grade education of metallurgy and a uh, an anvil and some smelting uh, can make that little center chest doodad that powers the Iron Man suit. But hey, I got I got over that after the first one. It still doesn't make any sense because they do it again in the second one. But Okay, you know, I've just, I, I've sort of resigned myself to that. But they really get into some kind of interesting things with, uh, with uh, Tony Stark. And I'm not going to ruin anything. Uh, I'm just going to be speaking about uh, Tony Stark in general. So if you haven't seen Iron Man 2, don't worry. I'm not going to, I mean, I, I will spoil a crappy movie because I just assume nobody will see it. But I'm not going to spoil a good one. And this is definitely a good one. Um, but Tony Stark's kind of an interesting character because, um, He's just a guy in a suit, so he's not like, you know, you're Superman or you're Spider-Man or whatever. So if he decides tomorrow, yeah, I don't want to be Iron Man, that's it. He just, that's it. I'm not going to put on the suit. I'm not going to be Iron Man. And what, what's also interesting is he has no moral compunction really to be Iron Man. He's not like your Batman or your Spider-Man where it's like, oh, Uncle Ben, he got murdered. And if I had just stuck my foot out and no, none of that. Uh, he, yes, his family has made weapons that have killed, um, thousands of people, possibly even millions of people over the years, but that doesn't really seem to phase Tony Stark, at least not in the movies, maybe in the comic. You know, I, I don't read comics. I, I enjoy everything that is made from comics. I just don't read comics. Um, I, I think that's probably because they were just, they're too damn expensive. I mean, especially now they're like you know, four, three, three, four dollars for one issue of a comic. And yeah, you can wait and pay $25 and get them all in a book. But God, that's just, that's a lot of money for a comic. Uh, but anyway, so it doesn't really seem like he has any sort of problem being this weapons manufacturer. So it's not like he's really trying to atone for his sins or anything. So if he just decided tomorrow, yeah, I don't want to be Iron Man, okay, well, that's, you know, what, where's the motivation to be Iron Man? So it's kind of an interest. You can play with that in movies where, you know, he can be not interested in joining the Avengers or not interested in being Iron Man. And you're like, yeah, what is his reason for doing it? Uh, unlike the really crappy 
Spider-Man 2, I think it was, where he just conveniently decides, I don't want to be Spider-Man anymore, and then magically loses his powers, and you're like, shit, man, I I decided I want to be really fit and have a six-pack. Oh, look, I don't have that. Mm. So, uh, but anyway... Uh, so neat. They really. Oh, and Tony Stark's a heavy drinker, which is also interesting because they delve into that a little bit. Like, how are how can you be a superhero and someone who enjoys his liquor? You know, doesn't really work out so good. And finally, about the movie, uh, great performances from Sam Rockwell, um, Mickey Rourke, and of course uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Scarlett Johansson. Meh. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, actually, pretty good in this. Uh, They get more into uh, Pepper Potts. And the movie was very heavily product placemented by Dr. Pepper. No Dr. Pepper Potts jokes. I'm I'm stunned. My favorite uh, crew member in the credits, because, of course, in all these Marvel films, you have to stay at the end to see the special bonus Avenger footage, which lasts all of about five seconds. So you, of course, I'm sitting there reading the credits. Dr. Man. Guy's last name, I can't remember, is like Bill or Steve, Dr. Man, but it's like D-A-U-C-H-T-E-R-M-A-N. Dr. Man. Hey, it's Dr. Man, Plumber Man, Fireman, Dr. Man. Hey, look at me. Uh, so I really like that, uh, that, that guy's name. So uh, another thing uh, I have been complaining about recently is uh, Mark Maron's WTF podcast because I just felt like it was a cesspot of negativity, which I was trying to stay positive about, and that's why I was trying to go the other way. But I have to say, the last like three or four episodes of that podcast, fantastic. He did an interview with Robin Williams, and Robin Williams was very low-key. He did uh, an interview with Maria Bamford, and you really get into her psychology a little bit. Fantastic. So if you're looking for a podcast and maybe you were straying away from it uh, in the past because I've been crapping on it, uh, Mark Marin, WTF, get the last like four or five episodes. Uh, really, really good. Oh, yeah. And in, in technology news, boy, this was a bummer. Uh, Microsoft, maybe like a month ago now, Microsoft announced that they would stop uh, doing anything in terms of the courier which, uh, for those of you who who may have missed the news, it was sort of their version of an iPad. It was two screens that folded out, uh, and the the video that you can see on device d v i c e dot com, uh, fantastic in terms of what it was. Now, I understand why they canceled it, um, but you know, for me. It was never about the hardware. I didn't give a crap, you know, that it had a camera in the back and I could walk around and draw on it with a stylist. Didn't, didn't matter to me at all. Uh, I, I, I would not have used it like that. What I was really jazzed about was the operating system because it was really like the first change of an operating system that we have seen in, uh, I don't know, 1995 maybe, so like 15 years. And it was really like a project-based operating system. I've talked about this before in the technology podcast, so I'm not going to go into it again. But, you know, when you look at your life, life is really projects. And I am so incredibly project-oriented. You know, if I don't have a project, I I just start to spin out of control. I'm just like, I don't don't know. I'm rudderless. I'm just, I I don't know what to do. I don't know where I'm going. And everything you can think of in terms of as a project, whether it's a recipe and you assign it to a date that you're going to make it and you assign it, you know, uh, ingredients that you're going to need and assign it locations where you will be getting those res- those ingredients. I mean, that's, that's like a whole way of, of interrelating all the things you need to do to get this done. There's no operating system that works like that. And I think that's why they canceled it. Because when you have to act, I mean, if you're going to, continue out this project metaphor and really use it for people who work on projects together, it becomes very difficult to say to another operating system, okay, you don't relate to projects like this, but there is this person who is working on this project, but 
they're not using the same operating system that you are. So, you know, if you look at the courier video and you're dragging things and you're sending notes to people and you're sending pictures to people in the courier interface, it's all just stuff that looks like, you know, a Google wave project where it's just things that flow into each other. And if you're not on that operating system, how does that translate? How do you see it? And you might be able to say like, oh, okay, well, I've assigned you to this project. So it appears as an email in your inbox. And that's a fairly easy translation to make. But how do you translate the stuff that isn't so straightforward? How do you handle, uh, you know, the images and the calendaring and all this other stuff and, and on the courier OS, it's all so neatly integrated. But now on your your OS, whether you're on a Mac or at a Linux or whatever, it's now this jumble of things that have no relationship to each other at all. And so trying to translate that experience into something else, even to another Microsoft user who is on XP or Windows 7 or whatever, I don't understand how you make those connections, and I think that was a big, big part of their problem. There is a theory going out by the Engadget podcast that are saying, by the way, we really should call the Engadget podcast talking about phones podcast. Not even talking about phones. Screaming about how no one's making a phone that we like podcast, because that's all they do. Let's be honest. Uh they were saying, oh, you know, Microsoft stopped making it because they couldn't do it. Well, it really what at the heart of it, it really wasn't anything groundbreaking. I mean, you know, you can run a, a database program. I mean, essentially, that's all it is, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a relational database, and that's all it is. And you can run that on your computer. It doesn't take a lot of horsepower. It's pretty simple. I mean, when you consider, I mean, really, that's what all the web is, where you leave comments. It's all just a relational database. That's what a Google Wave is. That's what a YouTube comment is. That's it. It's not anything crazy hard to do. Well, hopefully, what the cancellation of the courier really means is we've given up on the hardware, but we haven't given up on the software. So maybe the one way you could translate the experience across would be if you could run some sort of... uh, uh, courier OS emulator on your desktop. And then you could see things. So it would be like an app, really, uh, where you see the interaction of everything. And then you could just get, you know, notices or pop-ups or saying, so-and-so has added you to a project. And it could be like a really expanded version of MS Project. And so the next version of, you know, the Windows operating system is just uh, the courier OS you know, which has other things in it like, you know, file management and other th- other things you can do, whereas the emulator that you give out to the Mac and the Linux, or maybe you just put it on the cloud and you make it like Google Wave and you just say, all right, it's in the cloud and you run it like that. And then, then your experience has translated, even though it's not as nice because it's not the OS itself. It's this other place you have to go to. But hopefully that's what that really means. And they just said, look... We're not doing the hardware. We'll do the software. When the hardware is up to where, you know, it can be made cheaply enough. You know, the iPad is still running. The most expensive iPad is almost $1,000. I think it's eight, $899, $850, something like that. You know, having that's one screen, man. If you were going to have two screens and, you know, a camera on the back and all this other crap, you know, you're probably looking at two grand for something that, you know, maybe not everybody wants. And so it might even have to be more than that because, you know, regular laptops are too grand uh, and they mass produce those because everybody knows what it is and everybody's familiar with the uh, construct and the concept. And, you know, there would be a ramp up. There would be a buy-in time that just would be maybe cost prohibitive. Okay, so let's get to the thing that's really bugging the crap out of me. So after six years... We had the lost finale last night. Now, will, I, will there be spoilers in my dissection of the lost finale? No. Why? 
Because I have no idea what happened. This is why I'm mad, right? Like, I was setting expectations low because, you know, it's one two-hour finale, and there were thousands of mysteries that they've never even talked about in the six years. There's some that they resolved in the past couple of episodes, and it's like, oh, okay. But there were still a whole bunch more. They never did big, big, you know, things that they had talked about in the past. Um, so I was managing expectations. I was, I was keeping them low because it was like, well, how much can you really do in two and a half hours? Plus, we ran into the same thing with Battlestar Galactica. And honestly, I probably would have dropped Lost a while ago if I hadn't spent so much time watching it already. I was like, look, I need some closure. You know, it's like a, it's like a death of a family member. It's like, I need closure. It's like, I don't really want to think about the death of my loved one anymore, but I need a way of putting this behind me and moving on. Yeah, I really, I really need a way of doing that in life. I really need a way of moving on. I haven't found a way to move on to anything. I still have nasty flashbacks to stuff that really isn't that bad. You know, a little things where I, you know, said something stupid and the, the person I was talking about was right behind me. You know, just dumb stuff. So I was keeping expectations low uh, for the Lost finale. And even then, I was disappointed. Now, again, I have given up trying to tell people that the thing that they love is wrong. I've given it up because I'm not going to change anybody's mind. But I have a chance to change the future. Really? Yes, I do. Uh, because if you are someone who is thinking about watching Lost, don't. Um, you know, it's out on DVD. I, I think everything but the last season. Don't. It's a, it's a colossal waste of time. Because, you know, there are two camps of people. There are those who like the characters, and there are a bunch of people. I, re I, I really feel like what I've been reading online this morning is damage control. This is damage control from the super uber fans, the fanboys of Lost, who don't want to hear disparaging remarks about the finale. They just want to say that they liked it and, you know, love it and masturbate over it and whatnot. And they're saying, okay, so they didn't wrap up, you know, the, the mysteries, but, oh, they wrapped up the characters nicely. No. No, they didn't. No, and if you are going into this thinking that they're gonna, they're not. They don't wrap, you know, Battlestar Galactica, if you watch that, they wrapped up those characters. I watched it again, I think I mentioned that. I watched it, you know, the first time when it was live and was grossly disappointed. But I watched it again and I was like, okay, if you just jettison all the mysteries, which they should have done and they shouldn't have led people on... If you just jettison the mysteries and just watch that last episode, like, we're wrapping up characters. Screw all the mysteries. We're just going to deal with the characters. That's how you wrap up characters. But Lost, uh, I mean, by the end of it, it's like, okay, I guess, like, you're that guy now. But, so they wrap up, like, maybe three, two, three of the characters, but there's a ton of characters on Lost. It's a big cast. There's most of them, by the end of it, you're just like, where are you guys? What is going on? What is this place? What does that mean for you? You know, I mean, it's like, unfortunately, by the end of it, they the way they sort of wrap them up is by putting them in a location, but they don't explain the location. So how can you call that wrapping it up? Again, if you liked it, th this is not for you. I am merely speaking to the kids in the future. Don't waste your time. The one other thing I would say about the Lost finale, which really bugged me, was, again, it's this idea of hooking people in with the mysteries. Just like Battlestar Galactica did, Lost did. I I'm pretty sure Lost was first in it. But it really feels dishonest to me, right? Like, like there is, I, I know this is going to sound so stupid, and I really shouldn't take this shit so seriously, but it's really just dishonest. 
You know, it's, it's, it would be like reading a mystery novel and at the end of it going, oh, well, we don't know who the killer was. Well, I just read this book because I like the genre of mystery novels. You can't have a mystery novel and not tell me who the killer is at the end. And I should have known this with, with Lost because it was been on six years and they've barely revealed anything throughout the entire time. And it makes me feel bad for the people who want to make this kind of show. It makes me feel bad for people who want to do a, a, a mysterious setting where there's all these sort of weird things are happening because no one will watch that anymore. We, you know, that's what Lost said it was going to be. And there's all these people. All right. I do have to address these people on the internet. There's a bunch of people who are saying, oh, Lost was great because of the great characters. No. The characters were okay. Uh, but, you know, where I used to work, people would come in after, you know, we had our little tech room. And they would come into our tech room all excited because they had just seen an episode of Lost. Never once did they say, oh my god, I loved it when... Jack and Kate kissed, or Sawyer and Kate kissed. Uh, I liked it when this... The only time they ever mentioned the characters was, A, Hurley. More Hurley. Love Hurley. I wish we'd have more Hurley. B, uh, uh, some of the stuff with with, uh, John Locke was kind of cool. But it was always about the mystery. Oh my God. They would come running in and saying, oh my God, the mystery of this. And what do you think it means? And we'd have these crazy theories. And then, oh, and then we would say, you know, we'd watch the thing for coming up next week. And oh my God. And maybe they're going to reveal something. And uh, it was, it was always about the mysteries, right? Like every person who came into our room were so excited about the mysteries. The only other time they would mention characters was I am sick of Fill in the blank. I am sick of Kate. I am sick of Charlie. I mean, they would do these these flashback stories about people. And, you know, usually each character would get their own flashback episode. Some of them would get two if they were really interesting. Charlie got four. Four. Sick of Charlie. Enough of Charlie. And, you know, all these people who are online saying, oh, I love the characters. I love the characters. Where were you? In our little discussions, we had a lot of people. All right. It, it, I know it doesn't sound like we did any work because we didn't really do a lot of work, but we had a lot of people who would walk through our door saying, oh, my God, what's going on with Lost? Oh, my God, these mysteries and all this stuff. That's all they ever talked about. Uh, and, and not just men, not just geeks. You know, we had, you know, uh, women, older women, younger women, people of all, you know, uh, range of spectrums. Nobody ever talked about the characters. That's why I feel like all this stuff I'm reading online is damage control for the fanboys who cannot bear the idea that their show let them down. All right, people of the future, heed my call. Don't get started with Lost. Okay, so let's get to uh, today's topic. Now, I know a lot of you have seen the topic in the uh, sidebar there uh, on the uh, iTunes or whatever, and they're like, eh, Video games? I don't care about video games. I'm not going to listen to this. Well, really, it's not about video games. It's what I have learned from video games. And that's really sort of the key to everything I'm about to say is you got to be able to learn, right? Like, what what are you doing if you're not learning and taking your mistakes and taking your triumphs and saying, wow, I did this right or I did this wrong? Uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember one time when we had, we had just gotten our dog. We, we are first time dog owners and, you know, walking the dog around the neighborhood, it's not as easy as it sounds, right? Like it's not just put leash on dog, walk dog, pick up poop. Yeah. And there are people in our neighborhood clearly have not mastered pick up poop either. Uh, or they just don't care. So the biggest problem we have with our dog is she loves to go out in front of us. Now, I could be a dick and buy a leash that's, you know, two feet long and have her, like, stick by my side, but that kind of seems like being a jerk, you know? I, I, I feel like 
This dog is already indoors most of the day. Now is her big chance to go out and sniff the neighborhood. What am I going to do? Put her on a two-foot leash and, you know, yank her to my side every second? No. I do clean up the poop, but I'm not going to be that big of a jerk. Uh, So, I, you know, we bought this retractable leash and she runs around. The biggest problem she has is she loves to run out in front of us and kind of go around things. Well, I don't know what's on the other side of that. Usually it's people. And that, you know, really freaks people out. They're like, ah, he's a wild dog. And And then I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, sorry, I'm me. I'm just walking the dog. So the other thing is, is she doesn't get along great with other dogs. She barks and snaps a lot, and it's a bit of a problem. But we were walking the dog one day, and uh, there was an SUV. And I could see at the bottom, underneath the SUV, there was a shadow of a person. So I knew, and I was like, aha, My video game training has taught me there is a person on the other side of this. So you pull back on the retractable leash, you get her close, walk around. Not only is there a person, there's a dog, but the dog was standing in the wheel well, you know, shadow. So I couldn't even see the dog was there. And I was like, ha, victory is mine. Of course, if it was a video game, I just would have shot those people. (laughs) There is no, there is no dog walking video game because it would be boring. So it's things like that, just learning from everyday stuff on how to do things better. And it's really sad. You know, this is the one ability I think I have is to learn from my mistakes. Now, granted, for those of you who have seen me vomit from alcohol on multiple occasions, you would be saying, really? Have you learned Yes, it's a slow process. Sometimes you don't always learn the first time out. You realize that, you know, you you think you've got a handle on it. Some of the factors have changed. Okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to move forward, you know, and you learn. You don't always get it right. So this is what I have learned from playing video games. I used to play an online uh, shoot-em-up game called Battlefield 2. It was a really great game because you would get online and play with a bunch of other people. And the thing I've learned from that is there's always another way to do something. The way that the game was designed was that, you know, there were strategic locations that you needed to capture in order to win the game. And on first glance, it would look like there is only one way to get there. You go from here to here. But of course, if, you know, the guy, the team you're playing against has blocked that off, they'll just blow you up and die. Now, after you get blown up two or three times, you'll be like, hmm, there's got to be another way to do this. And of course, the way they designed those maps, there always was. And that's a great lesson in life of if you're running into this problem, it doesn't mean that there's no way to solve the problem, but there's probably a different way to solve the problem. So you got to give it some thought. And... Here's what I did. There are people who know more than you do. So go ask them. Uh, You know, uh, we had a problem once with our water heater and we couldn't figure out. It had broken and it spilled water everywhere. We couldn't figure out how to get it out. Well, wouldn't you know, my next door neighbor has a PhD in physics. So I brought him over and we were like, and sure enough, he figured it out. He helped us get the the water heater out of there and uh, another one in. The other thing I learned from Battlefield 2 is they really tried to put an emphasis on teamwork. Because most other games like this, it's just sort of like, you're on your own, go ahead and run and kill people, and if you have some great sharpshooters on your team, you're going to win. But they really angled the game to say, okay, not everybody's going to be good at shooting, so we're going to make people medics, or we're going to make people suppliers, or you know, all these different other subclasses for people like me, who aren't good at shooting at people. And we're going to really try and and foster this environment of teamwork and say we're all going to get together. And honestly, those people who played that way always won. And it really sort of highlights the need for teamwork and, and everybody working together. And this is a topic that I have been wrestling with for a very long time, which is how do you get people to do that? How do you motivate people to be a part of the team and do what's right and come together and see the bigger picture? 
And it was funny. There were, there were a lot of times, I mean, I, one of the reasons I don't play the game anymore is because there were just so many people who refused to play like a team. They were only interested in shooting guys in the face. And then you're not going to win that game. And I was way more interested because I'm not good at shooting people in the face. They were, I, I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to win. I wanted to win the round. And they weren't. They were only interested in doing their thing. And it's tough, too, because, you know, as much as they tried, and I would say they did a better job than anybody I've ever seen try to encourage this sense of teamwork. Even they couldn't do it. So it's still something that that I, I think World of Warcraft probably does it pretty good because they've got this idea of being a clan and because they charge a monthly subscription i'm sure that weeds out a lot of the idiots although there is that great uh youtube video of the of the guy who while they're they're making their plan he's like woo, and he just runs in and blows the whole thing i mean that's fun for a one-off youtube video but yeah if i was a serious player that that'd piss me off believe it or not i believe it or not no my. Um, I've learned things even from the very beginnings of video games, like uh, the Atari 2600, right? Like, what can you learn from that? Well, combat may be one of, if not the greatest multiplayer game of all time, right? Like, it, I understand kids who are listening to this have no idea what I'm talking about. But combat, and this is something a lot of video game makers don't understand, it's about the gameplay. Yes, there are occasions where you'll get a game that is just so amazingly beautiful that you have to buy it. Uh, no, not, not for me. It's all about the gameplay. And that's why combat is such a great game. Now, for those of you, for the kids who are listening to this in the future who have not played it, it's basically... Um, variations on a theme, right? So you can do two tanks and you can do two invisible tanks, two tanks with bouncy bullets, two tanks where you have to go around walls or maybe invisible walls or invisible tanks with invisible walls with bouncy bullets. You know, it's, it's 50, 60 different versions of that. And then there's also one where it's variations on uh, planes flying through the sky, Big plane, big bullet, or three little planes with three little bullets. By the way, I always do the three planes, three little bullets. It's way better. And it's, it's so, it's the, one of the ugliest games ever made. I mean, the tanks are just big squares with a little square out the front that says, like, this is where your tank turret is. And it's, it's so simple and fantastically great. But the other thing you learn from the Atari 2600, really is the old adage, don't judge a book by its cover. Or, I think one more important adage is, is you really need to see a picture of what you're buying and not just some crazy artist's rendering of what you think you are buying, right? Like, it's like all those trailers, you know, or, uh, you know, it's just like, this isn't really what you're getting. This is some sort of fancy, fancied up version of what you're getting. Those Atari 2600 boxes uh, are fantastic. Uh, they are the most ridiculous... Uh, you know, a fanciful compilation art that has nothing to do with the reality of the game. So that, that was a harsh reality when you would see this beautiful box art as a kid and then get it home and pop it in and it would be like one color. What, really? Okay, cool. No, it's, that's fine. I was totally expecting something else, but that's, that's cool. No, it's fine. So getting back to the whole idea of learning something... It's great to learn from your own mistakes and triumphs, but if you can learn from what other people have done, that's even better, because then you don't even have to make those mistakes. And it kind of bummed me out because uh, Stephanie said in the, I think it's, it must have been the birthday podcast, she said, you know, I don't think people really learn that way. And she's kind of right. I mean, most people don't take the time. Most people aren't interested in putting that kind of effort in. But it really, it really pays off. For instance, let's look at what I consider the greatest video game of all time, Bioshock. Bioshock is 
a fantastic game because I really believe they looked back at the history of games and they said, what are the things about games that really bug us? You know, yes, we all love games, but what are the things that are recurring themes that always seem to fall flat? And and let's figure out a way. Okay, we're not going to fix it, but we're going to design this game in a way where we don't even have to come up against that. That's an amazing way of looking at something, right? Like, I I just love the idea of we're not going to fix it, but we're never even going to come up against it. And in in a game, it has to be organic. It'd be like in a movie, right? Like, um, you know, uh, oh, a uh, great example of this is uh, Evil Dead, right? The first Sam Raimi movie. Maybe the scariest horror movie of all time. Evil Dead 2, the funniest horror movie of all time. But in the first one... They didn't have any mud, mud, mudget. They didn't have any budget for a monster. So what did they do? The camera became the monster. Genius, right? We're not going to solve the problem of making a monster inexpensively. We're just going to make the camera the monster and you won't have to see it at all. And it totally works. It's very organic. And um, in Bioshock, they do the same thing. Like, one of the big problems in games is when you have to interact with a, a um, what are called NPCs, non-player characters, like, you know, that use the artificial intelligence of the game, perhaps, uh, to interact with them, and they're usually characters that drive the story along. They don't know where, they don't make eye contact, they don't look at you, the lip sync when their mouth moves with the pre-recorded dialogue is off. So the guys who made Bioshock said, yeah, now, mind you, I have no idea if this is actually the conversations they had, but for the sake of argument, let's say it is. Uh, they said, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have you talk to anyone. All the conversations, minus two very, very brief ones, are either going to be through a walkie-talkie, through audio-recorded tapes, or through people on video screens where the vertical hold is broken. Now, you would think, well, why is the vertical hold broken? Well, because the city that you're in is falling apart, and it's been in disrepair. So the fact that the vertical hold is broken, it makes perfect sense. So then you never have to see that the mouth doesn't move, because you can, I mean, you can see the mouth is moving, but you can't really focus on it because the vertical hold is going by fairly quickly. Uh, the other thing that I love about this game is in most video games, they have this concept of fighting sort of what I call minions, right? Like if you ever see like a James Bond movie, it's just henchmen, 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 and then, you know, you do the big thing at the end. And so in most video games, it's henchmen, 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 boss fight, next level, henchmen, henchmen, henchmen. The other thing I really hate about the boss fight, which is usually like an upper level henchman. I mean, yeah, there's the super uber final boss who is like way bigger than anybody else you've played in a game and it's funny you you can totally tell a movie that they have made just to become a video game because you'll be watching it going henchman 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 oh boss fight hmm yeah and in video games it sucks because it they always wind up doing something gimmicky in order to fight the boss it's always like some sort of trick or it's just a very, very different way of fighting the boss than you would in, you know, the rest of the henchmen, which is so stupid. And that's why I love Bioshock, because they they you can fight them the same way and the boss fights are all opt in. So these big daddies who kind of roam around this city, this, you know, dilapidated underwater city. You can set traps for them, but once, of course, you, you know, they know you're attacking them, they'll come at you. And really, you can plan and strategize, and it just doesn't feel like a boss fight. And they did such a great job uh, with, with that concept. The other thing that's really great about Bioshock, the best story of any game, right? Like, I've seen video games where the stories just make no sense at all. And you're like, uh, -uh. But what did they do? Again, learning from the past. 
they stood on the shoulders of well, something. I, I was going to say greatness because it's not greatness. It's it. They they base the game off of the book Atlas Shrugged. I mean, is there even a character in the in the thing named Atlas? It's it's the entire concept. So what? It, by the way, the reason why I say they didn't base it on greatness because that book blows. That book blows hard. Uh, if you want to read it, if you're dying to read it. Read the first sentence of every paragraph, because the rest of the paragraph is just a restatement of the first sentence. And there's no sense in reading it, because it's just poorly written. The concepts in that book are great. And what Bioshock does is it looks at that book and it says, okay, at the end of the book, by the way, getting back again to spoilers, I will spoil things that suck. So here's the spoiler to Atlas Shrugged. At the end of the book, they gather up all the smart people and all the good businessmen and all the great artists, and they fly them off to a mesa in Colorado, which is only accessible by helicopter, which, of course, would be stupid by today's you know technology because we just use Google Maps and be like, there they are. But, you know, this book was written in like the 30s or 40s or something. Who cares? So they took that concept and they said, okay... What if a great industrialist did build a fantasy city, but rather than being on a mountaintop, let's put it underwater, so it would be way tougher to find. And let's say it wasn't a utopia. Let's say something went horribly wrong. And it's a great idea, because you can you take this foundation of a, an already established idea and you build off of that. They didn't start this story from scratch. They didn't start it from nothing. They had a definite launching off point. And yes, they took it in a totally different direction, but at least they started with something. So the sad part about video games for me is that it seems like coming up there's going to be a new wave of game developers. You know, it's it's a young man's game. There's a lot of overtime. The deadlines are crazy for no good reason. And a lot of people my age are going to get out of it. They're going to go do something else or they're going to be, you know, they're going to make their way up the food chain and they're not going to be the people who are designing the game anymore. And that's really sad because no one's going to go back and look at older games and learn from them. They're only gonna, you know, that's that, you know, uh, movies, people will go back and watch older movies. And eh, maybe not a lot, but, you know, a movie like Casablanca still holds up to me. And I'll watch it and I'll, I'll learn from it and I'll, I'll think it's great. But I won't go back and play, um, well, I would. I might go play combat just for uh, for old times' sake. But I've heard about older games on uh, video game podcasts. And I've thought about it, but nah, I won't. I won't go back and play them. And it's too bad uh, because when the new kids come in, they're going to lose all that history. You know, I have that history in my head because I played those games, not because I went back and studied and read a book about them. It's not like history class where you can do that, but it's because I lived through it. And the new kids aren't going to have that history and they're going to go back and they're going to make a lot of those same mistakes again. And they're going to make the same games again. And some of them were good games and having them made again just by, you know, sheer accident because, hey, it was a good idea. I don't know if I want that. I mean, I want this idea to be pushed forward. You know, video games, once you've played a certain genre of a game too much, you're kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm over it. I've seen this before. I, I, I don't want to play that again. I mean, I don't play Battlefield anymore because I played it. I played it a lot. I'm, I'm just done with that whole genre. I want a story-based experience. And unfortunately, you know, when you don't have that history, you're going to think, well, this is a brand new idea and I'm going to do it like this. And you're going to be like, no, no, that's not new. And so... Unless you have people who have that history, I'm going to be playing games until I die. And it's going to suck because I feel like we're going to get to this regression and people in my age group are not going to be making games anymore. And so we're going to get a lot of retread. And the only thing that's going to keep us out of it is if 
people do have that history or the technology just advances so far, we can do something amazing. God knows what that'll be, but I'm looking forward to it. And hey, if you're somebody out there who enjoys a good casual gaming experience, uh, go to Congregate, Congregate with a K, uh, Congregate.com. They've got a lot of really cool Flash-based games. Suck it, iPad. Yeah, Flash is still relevant. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's it's a really great service. They, they're all rated, so you're not going to waste your time with a, on a crummy game. And you can get badges and points and all that stuff. So check it out. Congregate. Congregate with a K dot com. And they're local. They're a local company. So uh, support the home kids. <laughs> so here's a new phenomenon that I just discovered I had. And I guess I knew, already knew this, but this really just highlights the problem I have. Um, I was... I was gonna let the lost finale go. It's like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm done, I'm done with it. But I recorded the first part of this podcast earlier in the, in the morning. And then I started reading stuff on the internet. And I was expecting, you know, the outrage. Oh no, it's lost finale. They've jerked us around. No. No, I heard, oh, it was the perfect blend to send off our characters and all this stuff. And it's just, You know, that made me matter because it's one thing for, you know, two guys to jerk me around. But it's it. The problem is, is you want you don't want to be the only one. Right. You want everybody else to rally around with you and try and enact some sort of social change. Right. Like you want, you know, you want to send a clear message and say, wow, this sucked and you can't do this to people. And, you know, this is what I've been screaming about the entire time about, you know, what bugs me about a lot of the sci fi movies. And yet I it makes me matter that everybody was so happy and is going along with this. And I'm sorry I'm, you know, Miriam and I have not discussed what we thought about this because I think she's just tired of hearing me bitch. But I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I could be saying all this and she could be one of the people who are like, yeah, you know, I thought it was great. So look, I'm going to, I just, I, I'm sorry. I, I know you guys are all in Miriam's camp right now and tired of hearing me bitch about this. But look, I just have to respond to all the people who, give it mad praise that I read online. And and a lot of people were like, well, look, you know, this show has always been about, you know, the characters and the relationships between the characters. You know, the mysteries are just whatever. Okay, first of all, no, it isn't. So to say this is a character-driven show, no, yes, there are characters on the show, but they're not great. And honestly, if it was just the characters, would you watch it? Honestly, if you had gone through all of season one, watched the whole thing and said, okay, end of season one, you had a year with these characters and not one mystery that they've established in this first year. Now, that's not exactly true, but for the sake of this question, not one mystery will be resolved in six years. Will you keep watching this show? Honestly, I don't really think there are that many people who are going to be like, no, no, I like these characters enough and screw all the mystery stuff. If, the, if, the, if your characters are this great, where is the confidence in your characters? Where is the confidence in your writing? Um, because if you have great characters and you have great writing, you got great dialogue, you don't need all these mysteries. This mystery actually just gets in the way. And I, one of the analogies I uh, used online uh, was somebody w- when they said, oh, it's, you know, it's not about the mysteries. It's just about the characters. Well, you know what? The mysteries were a big, big part of that show. That would be like building a house and sort of knocking out, you know, half of the supports once it's all built and being like, well, the show, this house was always about the living room, right? Like, that's what you said you liked. You said you liked the living room. Okay, I I understand the bedroom, the bathroom. Those are all structurally unsound. That's fine. But look, you're not supposed to spend time there. I understand. No, no, they look fantastic. But God forbid, don't walk on that part at all, or you're going to be up to your knees in dirt and dust, because that that's just, that's unsafe. All right, see, 
you cannot load something so top heavy on an area and then neglect it. Howard Stern had a really great, uh, had two, he had two really great thoughts. One, he said he wanted a bill of rights for TV shows that promises you an adequate payoff if it asks you for a time commitment, which I think is a fantastic idea. And two, he said that there is a lot of promising that goes on in Hollywood. Um, like he described one time how he pitched a TV show. Um, he went in and he pitched them a couple of things and the, the Hollywood people were kind of like, nah, I don't know. It's okay. Whatever. Do you have anything else? And he's like, oh, yeah, well, I've got this other show that I've been working on called Howard Stern, the high school years. And then he would start doing impressions of his parents and all this stuff and him masturbating. And and the, the studio people were like, great, sounds good. Let's do that. Well, the thing is, is, he had just made it up on the spot. And one of Howard Stern's theories is, which is one I'm beginning to believe quite wholeheartedly, is... They went to J.J. Abrams. They said, we want you to make this show about being on an island. He was like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. He held out for a long time. And then he came to them and said, okay, I'll do it. So Howard Stern's theory is, is that he had no idea. He had a bunch of things going on. Those all stopped or ended or dried up or whatever. And then he was like, oh, well, you know, ABC's been hounding me for a while. I'll just tell them I have something. Just as a final thought to all TV networks out there, and I think I've said this before, but um, the greatest thing that you can do to a TV show is make it think it's being canceled every year, because that's what they did on the Justice League. And I think Justice League is one of the greatest shows of all time in the history of television, because what it did was it did one season-long story arc, and at the end, they thought they were being canceled. So they did this enormous blowout, balls-to-the-wall finale episode, thinking, this is it, we're done. And then next year, they would come back, and they would say, hey, guess what? You're renewed. Let's do another one. And they'd be like, okay, so how are we going to step it up? How are we going to make this season more interesting? My God, man, if they had done that with Lost, and they were just like, we're going to wrap up a whole crap load of loose ends, and here we go, and we're almost done. Boom! And then next season, they were like, nope, you got to come back for some more. They would have been like, oh. And that would, that would have made it the greatest show ever. But they didn't do that. They just jerked you around for six years, and then, and you know what? Honestly, maybe, maybe not. They probably wouldn't have done anything at the end of every year anyway, because clearly they had six years to think of this, and that got them nowhere. All right, enough about this. Ah. Well, this has been fun, if at not at the least a little self-indulgent on my point. So, for all you gamers out there, don't let your idle thumbs go to waste. Go play yourself a game. And the music of Bright Brown, and Tyler Durden, and me... Let's do this one more time. Till then!